And if it gets to a point, right, if we reach that red line where we can't meet or anything like that, um, we will be doing something for Easter. We're just got to figure that out, how we're going to approach that. So even if you bring the eggs, we will um, do something so that we can get those eggs out to, to kids and um, so that they can, so they're not taken away from this time, right? One of the biggest things is you look back and you see uh, situations in your life where you go, man, because of this, we missed out on this, right? And has the resurrection been canceled? I was never informed. So that's not happening. So we want to continue to celebrate. But this morning, before we get into the sermon, I want to share with you last week, I shared with you some verses. Today I want to share with you just some encouraging verses in this time. Um, this isn't part of the sermon, so don't look at your notes. All right? It won't be there. This is just in my personal, as I read through Scripture, as I, um, I want to share with you Psalm 71 and just the first eight verses. The whole psalm's good, but I want to share with you the first eight verses. It says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of salvation, to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become like a portent to many, but you you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. And so I love that, just that, especially this one verse where it says, be my rock of, of refuge. And so it's saying, God, I praise you. You are a rock, but be mine right now. So in a time of distress, really calling out to God and saying, God, be that rock for me. And so... Um, as we're talking about this coronavirus, as all this stuff is going on, we need to be going to God and saying, God, be that rock. It's a constant reminder. One of my favorite um, passages in Scripture is between Jesus and the man, and the man seeking after Jesus' healing touch. And he says, have faith. And he says, um, he responds with, I do, but help me in my unbelief. And so it's, I have faith, but help me in my struggle. And so as we're talking about all this stuff, that we can go to God and say, God, I know you're my rock. I know you're my, my fortress. I know you're my refuge. But help me make sure that I do. Make sure that I trust you enough. And so that's why I love that passage. Um, but today, I want to share with you some things. Um, when I was a teenager, or when I was in high school, or I'm getting all my dates mixed up. It's all running together now. Um, when I was in college, we were in this course, um, Marika and I, and if you were a, going into um, any type of ministry, if that was your degree, you had to take this final class. And it was only allowed for seniors, and you, they had it in the spring, so that when you took this course, you were supposed to be at the end of your senior year, your, your whole career at this school, and you're going to take this course. And in this course, um, how many of you have ever, ever heard of The Matrix or seen The Matrix movies? Okay, 
You know who Agent Smith is and the way he talked? If you don't know who that is, have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? Okay, and that trilogy, and there's an elf there. His name is Elrond. Okay, it's the same actor who played in these two roles. His name is Hugo Weaving. Okay, and if you listen to him, he has a very distinct way of speaking. And we had this teacher that not only looked like him, but spoke like him. And so if I always wanted to hear him say, Mr. Anderson, because if you know that, it, go, it goes something like this. I'm going to butcher this, but it goes, Mr. Anderson. Okay, and it's very, and I made fun of this guy one time, and I felt like I would destroy the world. Like I was like the worst person in the world um, because he did not laugh. And it wasn't, I wasn't making fun of him, but rather I was making a joke about his, his way of doing things, and he was not happy with that. At least I couldn't tell, right? There are people that are just, they're the straight man. They, you cannot tell anything. Anyways, so in this class, it's held at the end of your career in, in the school, right? Because they want to make sure that you have a level of understanding of these topics that now you can have intelligent conversations. And this guy, he is the head of the department, of the theological department. So he is not only a doctor, but he is the doctor in charge of all of this knowledge, right? And how everything's supposed to work. And he is the teacher of this class. And in this class, it was during the spring, and so we had these people, um, these juniors and, and seniors from high school, they would come in for a weekend, and they would sit in on our classes. Well, they were sitting in on this class. And as a good student, of course, I sat in the back, right? I sat back there, and so all these students were in the front, and there was this, we were having this conversation, and the teacher was talking to, let's say you're right here, you're the junior and senior high students, right? He wasn't talking to you. He was talking and looking, not even barely acknowledging that there's people in front, and he was looking in the back, and he was talking to us, the seniors who were in this class. Now, we're about halfway through this class at this point, and he presents a, a topic for the day, and there's this junior, senior high school student sitting in the front row, and I remember it because I sat in the very back in the corner, and he was sitting on the opposite of me. So basically, I'd be sitting back there, and they were sitting up here, okay? And the teacher presents this idea, and this student, this high school student, speaks up. And very, very nicely, um, I think, for him, he waited until the student was done and then said something along these lines. Do nev never speak in my class again. You have not been in this. These students back here have spent the last four years going through these ideas, and now they have an opportunity to discuss them. You have not. Please do not speak in my class. And he wasn't, you have to understand, this wasn't a, a rude thing. He wasn't trying to be rude, but what the person has said was not something that was intelligent in the sense of the conversation that we were having. They didn't understand where we were talking. So I want you to understand this teacher, okay, and the type of teacher it was, because a little later in that class, he presented a, a something, and, and I responded, and I don't remember what he presented or what I responded with, but he looked at me and said, I never thought of it that way. Now, I share that with you because 
For that to happen, you have to understand from me, I'm on cloud nine. Because here's this guy that he does not want people to mess around or to even talk in this class if you're not going to have something intelligent to say. And then he tells me, I never thought of it that way. I thought, I'm really hot stuff right now. <laughs> I, I am the best. Like I said, I don't know what I said. I couldn't tell you what I said. But I know that I impressed him. And I thought, I'm, I'm really happy with myself right now. And I share that story all the time because that was probably the highlight of my whole career in college. I don't remember anything else from college <laughs> except I got married and I, I impressed one of my teachers. Um, but I tell you that because um, what, having that idea of being able to amaze someone, I... I've always thought I, I love being able to amaze someone, but I never want to get to that point where I'm not amazed by things, right? Like I feel like the teacher was so, because he had so much education, because he was so well read and real, well, you know, everything, that when things are presented to him, it didn't strike him as new, right? And so when something did, it was an amazing moment to happen. And for me, myself, I look at my kids, and they're constantly amazing me. Um, not in the sense of, like, you know how a kid, when they talk for the first time, you go, wow, that's, that's great, that's amazing. And then after a while, it's like, okay, you can stop now, right? You, they get to about teenage years, and you're like, yeah, I don't need to listen to another word. You're fine. You just zip it for the rest of the year until you get out of here. We're good, right? Um, it becomes a point, but for the things I'm talking about is things like our youngest girl. Um, she has this ability to mess up, to receive a discipline, right? And then turn around and just say, I love you. And that amazes me because I'm like, you know what, you little punk? I don't want you to love me right now <laughs> because I'm very angry with you. But you can't stay angry with that, Right? And it amazes me because I, I look at that and I go, you know, I need to be like that with my God, right? That when he disciplines me, I still need to trust in him. I still need to come to him. Um, my son um, has this amazing analytical mind. He, and I've shared this with you, how he, he can look at a, a puzzle and just put things together, and for me, I don't have that type of mind. Like, I, I look at puzzles, and I'll just sit there and sit there and go, these are nice little pieces of cardboard. You know, but he can look at those things and just see and put it together. And it just amazes me that he can do that. Um, my oldest girl um, has this ability to be a little punk and at the same time want to make my wife coffee you know, or do things for the kids, the other kids. And I'm just like, it amazes me that you can do that. Why can't you do that all the time, <laughs> right? Um, but just I, I, learning from them and understanding that teacher, I never want to get to this place that I'm amazed. But I realize why we can get into this point where we're not amazed, right? Or we, because we have kind of this bias towards things where we, we look at something and we go, well, I can't be amazed by that, Right? Um, we can get into the mundane, and we no longer are, are surprised or, or anything like that. But we have a bias towards because I've already experienced it, right? I already know it. 
And so we have that bias towards anything else that could come along. And it's this idea of having a bias or not being able to see something because, well, I just don't want to or I've experienced other things and so I don't want to do, be affected by that that we're talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 and we're going to be looking at two situations. So Luke chapter 18, we're going to be in verse 35. Um, so... As we're getting into this passage, we are in our second week on this sermon series of marching towards the resurrection, right? We're talking about the path that Jesus is taking through the scriptures to Resurrection Sunday. And so what we're doing is we're looking at um, situations along that path, right? And last week we talked about two situations, and so in week one, we saw two situations with four groups. And we compared and contrasted these groups. And the first two groups was the parents and the disciples. And if you don't remember, we talked about how the parents brought their children to Jesus to be blessed by Jesus. And the disciples were trying to keep the children away. And then Jesus said, no, come here. Let them come. And so we talked about, the, we compared and contrasted the disciples and the parents. The parents, their desire was, I want my child to be blessed by Jesus. Right? And that's, I mean, as parents, if you've ever had children, if you've ever worked with children, you want the best for that child, right? You want them to have a great life. And so that's what these parents are doing. They're bringing their children to Jesus and saying, I want them to be blessed by you. And the disciples are all the other side. They're saying, no, no, no. They're not as important. And so they don't need to be coming. And so these two groups, we, we talked about how one was seeking the blessing of Jesus and one wasn't. Right? They were trying to keep that blessing away. And so we talked about how we need to start being people that are seeking um, God's blessing for other people. We want people to be blessed. And so we need to be praying for people um, that they would be blessed and making sure we're not keeping them from the blessings of God. Um, but then we talked about the other groups, the two other groups. And we said it was the, the children and the rich young ruler. And we showed that the children were just there, right? You never hear them talk. You never really have any interaction with them. They're just there. So we see that they're just being, okay, dad, mom, where, where are we going today, right? Um, one of the favorite things I love about when kids are young, um, you ever see them on leashes? Like those little leashes? We had this one that was a monkey backpack. And the, this is probably not, I shouldn't say this, but um, our little son would run and I would just stand there because I'm a lot bigger than he is. And as fast as he runs, that's faster he comes back this way. So he goes, runs, and just, you just see him go, do, 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 do. And uh, it, it's just something. I just, I'm, I'm weird like that. Anyways, um, so I just, when this is happening, that's what I always picture in my head. Like, the parents are coming over here, and the kids are like, do, 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 do. And they're like, nope, this way, <laughs> right? It's kind of like leading a dog. Anyways, um, and so this whole situation, you have the parents and you have these children that are just like, okay, mom and dad, wherever I'm going, that's where I'm going. But then you have the rich young ruler who has everything, right? He has prestige, he has money, he has all this stuff. And Jesus says, follow. You know, give up that stuff and then follow. And he doesn't. 
And so these two groups, the children will just follow, but this other one who has everything will not. And so we compared and contrasted those two. Now today, we're going to look at two more situations, and we're going to see how this whole block that we're talking about actually all is together. Okay, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, um, verse 35. So let's get to that. All right, let's read together. This is, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He, call, he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. All right, do you guys see anything similar to what we talked about last week? I see this, and here's the disciples and the parents and the children, right? Here we have a, a blind beggar, and he doesn't know what's going on. Just a, a group's coming through, and they're being loud, so he knows they're there. And they tell him, yes, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth is coming through, and he, said, and he starts crying out for him, and they say, stop. This is just like the disciples trying to stop the parents from bringing their children. This is him trying to get to Jesus, trying to get a blessing from Jesus, and them saying no. And we have a parallel here between these two groups. That just like the disciples were keeping the parents away, you have this crowd keeping this man away. Now let's, let's talk about this, this blind beggar. In verse 41, Jesus, or he, or Jesus asks him, what do you want from me? And he says to receive sight. Now what's interesting about this is this, this idea of receiving sight, it can also be translated as recovery of sight. And if you, actually, if you have an ESV, an English Standard Version, that's how they translate it, that it's a recovery of sight. And so it almost seems like that this is a guy who just isn't, wasn't born blind, but rather at some point along the lines, he lost his sight, whether through age or whether through an accident or through just his eyes deteriorating, um, he lost his sight. Now think about that. If that's the case, then how many of you deal with needing glasses, Right? I think the majority of us in here need glasses, and if I take off my glasses right now, all of you are just blurs. <laughs> right? And when you put on your glasses, it's like, oh man, my whole world's back. So if this person had, had sight and then lost it over time, think about that. How hard it would be to live in a world where you know what things are, but you've lost that ability. Um, have you ever done this? Would you rather? And then you go, would you rather lose your sight, lose your taste, lose your smell? How many of you would say, I want to lose my sight? Anyone? I've never met someone that's like, yeah, I want to lose my sight. Personally, I'd rather lose smell. Like, that's mine. Because I don't like smelling things. Just me. 
um, because my kids are always like, here, smell this. And it's like, my son really does this. He has this little dog, and that thing hasn't been washed in like two months. And um, you, you think that's not, oh, no, that's not that long for this dog. You know, that's, that's a early cleaning, okay? This thing reeks, <laughs> and he's always putting it in my face. I'm like, I'd lose my smell right now if I could. Um, but our eyesight is really precious, especially when we know, right? We have seen things, and to be able, and then to lose that is a huge thing. So he tells Jesus, I want to recover my sight. I want that back. And so this man is, is seeking this really, really, and the reality is how many of us, um, have, some of us have gone and done LASIK. I've, I've known people that have done LASIK, and then you know, you know, in a couple of years their eyes need to be, re, be redone or something needs to be, happen. Um, um, my wife has been told, you know, don't get LASIK until you're, you're older because you're, you'll just need glasses again. You know, so it's either have glasses now or have glasses later. You're going to have glasses, right? And that's our eyes. Our eyes are just, you know, our, our doctor told us one time, I hope you never have kids because <laughs> if you do, they're going to be blind because both of you have horrible eyes, <laughs> you know. Um, he never said, I hope you don't have kids. He said, if you do, I hope you get insurance, but, you know. Um, so, but here's this man, and he's sitting there, and he wants this blessing from God. But I want you to notice something else about them. When we address people, we use certain terms, right? How many of you, when you were growing up, you were told to talk to an older person and address them as Mr. or Mrs.? Most people? Okay, when I was growing up, I never had that because it wasn't my parents. It was their friends. And their friends would always say, no, call me John. Or call me, you know, this, or call me by my first name. And so I never had that. But when I transferred into a school, into a high school, my last two years of high school, I had, it was a Christian school, and so they said, you have to call everyone that is a teacher, brother or sister, and then their last name. And so I had my homeroom teacher, my, uh, my senior year, his name was uh, Brother Hickey. Um, and when he, when we got to the end and he's like, okay, when you're, when you graduate, you guys can actually call me brother. And I don't even know what his first name is. Um, he said, but you can call me brother. And then he said his first name. And I looked at him and go, nope, that's weird. I'll keep calling you brother Hickey. And I don't even remember his first name because of that. Um, but the way we address people is the way that we have a relationship with them, Right. And so I want you to notice, how does the crowd address Jesus? What do they call him? No, no, no. They say Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, because the, the beggar says, who's coming or what's happening? And they say, Jesus, is Na- Jesus of Nazareth is coming. Now, what does he say to Jesus? What does the blind beggar say? What does he call him? Son of David. That's really important because to the crowd, Jesus is just a rabbi from Nazareth that's come to town. But to the blind beggar, he realizes when they say it's Jesus, he, he connects that with the Messiah. And that's that title, Son of David. It's a messianic title. And so for him to say, Jesus, Son of David, he's saying, I know who Jesus is. But do you notice that the crowd does not? 
they don't know Jesus because he's just another rabbi to them. But to this blind beggar, he's the Messiah. He's the one that's come to save us. And so the, the ability to understand who is coming, that it makes sense now that the crowd is saying, stop, be quiet, because they don't understand Jesus. And really, the disciples, when we talked about last week, they didn't understand Jesus. And so, and there's actually a little text between last week and this week, there's a text between there where Jesus is talking about how he's going to die. And he's letting them know that, and they still don't understand. Now, we skip that text because we're going to talk about it next week um, when we talk about further on into Luke 19. But it's this understanding that these people did not understand who Jesus was, yet the blind beggar did. Okay? So I want us to understand that, that those, those are the situation we have. All right? So let's drop down to our next situation because I want us to hold on to the crowd. I want you to remember that crowd because they're going to be important still. Okay, let's drop down to chapter 19, verse 1. Okay. It reads, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of, sinner, of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. All right, do you guys see a, a similarity here between the rich young man, rich young ruler, and Zacchaeus? Now, as soon as you hear that, how many of you have been in Sunday school, and as soon as you heard of Zacchaeus' name, you started saying, Zacchaeus, a wee little man, and a wee little man. Good, I'm, I'm glad you did. I shared this with my wife, and she said, yep. <laughs> it was exactly what popped in my head. Um, but there's, there's combination, there's, Comparative and contrasting here with the rich young ruler, right? We see the same scenario just before this, right? And the scenario is you have Zacchaeus. So let's talk about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a rich guy, right? He's a tax collector. And the way tax collectors worked back then is that you would go and let's, this is just some figures to put this in our mind. Let's say the tax rate was 5%, Right? And for us, it's like, wow, 5%, that's really, like, I'd love to have a tax rate of 5% right now, right? Um, just going down to the gas station, it's like 18 cents on this and 18 cents on that. And you're just, you go over to California, it's like four bucks just for their taxes. And then it's like an extra dollar for the actual gas. But, um, but let's say it's 5%, right? They're going around and asking for 5%. Well, in order to cover their own expenses, the over their own living wage, right? They go and they say, okay, I'm going to add on to the tax. So instead of 5%, maybe it's 
right? So 5% goes to the Romans, and then that 1% goes to them. Well, anyone else see how this could be a problem? Because maybe they said, oh, the taxes are 7%, maybe 10 it, they're the ones that are collecting it, so they're deciding. As long as Rome gets their 5%, who cares, right? Now, see, this is why. It doesn't matter if you're in the United States here or back in Rome. No one likes the IRS, right? They, I mean, because this is, he is the IRS of his day. Now, I personally love the IRS. This is being recorded, so I love the IRS. They're the, they're the greatest uh, agency in the world, so um, they are great. Um, but you see what I'm saying? The, this man, he's a rich man. How do you do that? He did it on the backs of other people, and he's not liked. That's why they call him a sinner. They view him as a sinner. He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. And so, yes, he's wealthy, but there's a difference here between the rich young man and, the, and, the, and Zacchaeus. The rich young man was wealthy and he was esteemed in his community. Remember we talked about that word ruler can also be, or when applied to a Jew, usually talked about the ruling group or the elders of a town. And for him to be a young guy and on that, that ruling group that means that he was really high esteemed in his community. And you know where he's probably from? He's probably from Jericho, the same place. And so we have two rich guys, one who's very esteemed and one who's not. And then what's really interesting, that word that we translate as he's short, right? He's, he's small in stature. That word can also be used talking about age that he is not only short in stature, but he's young. And so think about this. And I, this, just, this thought popped in my head this week. What if these two guys were the same age, or they knew each other, they were, they were peers to each other? One, they're both rich, but one went the esteemed route, and one did not. It's just a little thought. But... And, and another little key to that, maybe he ran up that tree. How many of you want to run up a tree? Right? How many could get up a tree pretty fast? Well, Zacchaeus did, so maybe he is um, a little young guy. But these two groups, right, this young ruler and this Zacchaeus, they're both rich. One is esteemed, one is not. And yet, what does Jesus do? He calls to both of them. To the rich young ruler, he says, Come. And follow me. Sell everything you have. Come follow me. To Zacchaeus, he says, I will eat at your house. He calls them both to himself. But then think about it. What is the reaction? Jesus tells the rich young ruler, go and sell everything and follow me. Zacchaeus says, I will give half my wealth to the poor right now. And then, and you might go, well, that's not everything, right? He's not doing what Jesus asked the, the um, rich young ruler to do. He told the rich young ruler, sell everything, get rid of everything, and then follow me. But think about what Z Zacchaeus said. He says, I'm going to give half right now to the poor, and then I'm going to, if I, let's read that. Because I want you to hear exactly what he says. He says, and... If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So he's saying, I'm going to give right now half of it to the poor. And then he's saying, out of the rest of it, 
If I cheated anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to just repay them. I'm going to give them four times back. So is he using his full wealth? Pretty much. He's taking his full wealth and saying, you know what, I'm going to fix this. And what is Jesus' response? He says, today, salvation has come to this house. Again, what happened with the rich young ruler? It says he got sad because he had great wealth. And then in some of the Gospels, it says he turns away. And so here we have, we have Jesus saying, salvation has come to this man who is this sinner, who is this tax collector, who is not esteemed. Now think about that. What about the crowd? Let's go back to the crowd for a second. If it was up to them, would they let Zacchaeus come to Jesus? No. In fact, there is no, there's really no interaction here, right? It says Jesus entered Jer Jericho and it says a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus and we were told about him and it says he wanted to see who Jesus was, right? And then it says because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. It was almost like the crowd's like, no. Stay out, Zacchaeus. We don't want you to see Jesus. And so he has to take it upon himself to get up high enough to see Jesus. And so this crowd, and then when they find out that Jesus is going to go see them, they say, it says they grumble that Jesus is going to go see the, and eat with the sinner. This crowd is trying to keep people away from Jesus. But I want you to know something with this crowd. When the blind beggar was healed, what was their reaction? They were praising God. They were rejoicing that it happened. Do we see that when Zacchaeus comes to salvation? No. Isn't it interesting that they were so excited that this blind beggar got his sight back, but they were not excited that someone received Christ as their Savior? Isn't that crazy? And think about one, one more thing here. The beggar already viewed Jesus as the Messiah. Maybe he was already saved. He already accepted him. Zacchaeus didn't. But they were more happy that a blind person got their sight, which they should have been, right? They should have been rejoicing that this miracle happened. But that person was already with Jesus. He already believed in Jesus. Read what it says about Zacchaeus. In verse 2 it says, a man was there, right? And we find out about him. And in verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. He doesn't know Jesus. Maybe he has heard some things about Jesus, but he doesn't know Jesus. Not like the blind beggar did. The blind beggar associated Jesus with the Messiah. To Zacchaeus, he didn't know. It wasn't until he, so we have these people rejoicing at a miracle happening, which they should have, but then when someone goes from death to life, there's no rejoicing. You can see that the crowd really didn't understand Jesus because that's where they should have been. They should have been saying, we just saw a miracle. Someone got their eyes, um, to, they're able to see. I can't wait to see what he's going to do with Zacchaeus. Right? I mean, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Maybe Zacchaeus is going to turn around. 
Maybe he's no longer going to gouge us. Maybe he's actually going to be a follower of Jesus. No, they don't do any of that. It's, they grumble. Oh, he's going to the sinner's house. And I think we can, we can walk away with two conclusions here. This first conclusion is this. It's easy, it's really easy to block others from the work of God. Right? Especially when we have a bias towards them. Think about this. Last week we talked about the disciples. It's really easy, right? I mean, how many times are kids just this, this kind of, they're annoying and they smell and they don't do things right and they haven't bathed and they, you know, they'll go out there and run around in the dirt and then they'll come in here and run around in here, right? There's a reason why we have the saying, seen and not heard, right? Because they are crazy sometimes. And it's really easy to be like, man, stop, right? It's easy. And maybe that's what the disciples thing is. There are people that need to hear the message. And these kids, they're just going to be flailing everywhere. They're not going to pay attention, right? And so maybe the disciples are saying that. And they have this bias. The crowd, think about what the crowd is saying. There's this huge group going through the streets and can everyone get at Jesus, right? I mean, think about that. And then here's this man and he's shouting. Maybe Jesus is speaking at this point. We don't know. Maybe Jesus is teaching and they're like, I'm trying to hear what Jesus is saying. Stop talk. stop yelling, right? I'm trying to hear. Maybe that's why they rebuked him. And then for Zacchaeus, I mean, he's, he's a tax agent, right? You don't want to talk to them because if you talk to them, they might take your money, right? And so it's, I don't want, and so it's really easy, right, that when we have a bias towards someone, even if it's not even an intentional bias, right, that we block them from the work of God. Uh, I was thinking of, you know, the coronavirus. We have this all going on. And I don't know how many of you guys watch the news and then you go, man, these people are nuts. You know, the first thought in my mind is, people are they're idiots. You know, they want all this stuff. They're, and then, you know, there's this bulk buying and then there's panic buying and now there's no buying, right? And it's like, I just, why can't people just think clearly Right? And I started thinking about this because this is my thoughts. And I go, and, this, and it, it's only God because I'm not thinking this way. And he goes, why don't you pray for that person? Instead of calling them an idiot, Jeremiah, why don't you pray for them? Maybe they're in fear right now. That's why they're panic buying. Right? They're scared. Maybe they don't know me, Jeremiah. Why don't you start praying for them? Because I have a bias towards them. <laughs> They're morons. <laughs> and God's saying, eh, I love them. And they're scared. Pray for them. And it's that, because, and then it's this idea that I can rejoice now because of God. And this is the second takeaway. This is the second conclusion here. Is when we get past our biases, we can start rejoicing at God's work. I mean, think about this. It, it wasn't a huge bias, right, for the crowd. They're just saying, shh, be quiet. 
Maybe it's too loud, right? They're trying to listen. They're trying, you know, something. But when Jesus called them, they rejoiced. But when a greater thing happened, when salvation came to someone, they were mute. Because their bias, they wouldn't let go of their bias, so now they couldn't rejoice that salvation had come to someone. I mean, think about this. Maybe Zacchaeus heard a lot of those people in that crowd. And they've been giving him money and money, and maybe they go, yeah, this won't last long. Ever thought about that, about some people? Yeah, they're okay right now, but it won't last long. And it's, what if instead of that, we're actually rejoicing that God's doing work? That God is doing something here, and we're rejoicing, God, I praise you that this is actually happening, right? It's not just, oh, yeah, I'll just push it aside. And we continue in our bias, but rather, God, work on me so I can rejoice when I see you work, right? And so just this whole idea. So my challenge for you this week is very simple. It's very simple. <laughs> is first off, um, I want you, last week I asked you to start praying for someone that you would bring to Easter Sunday. Now, some of you are going to be gone by then, and so I'm praying that you would bring someone somewhere, right, to a church somewhere. But uh, the way things are going, there might be no church services anywhere in the country. And so pray for that person that you invite them to um, church online. You know, find a church online and just say, hey, at this time, I want to invite you to watch this church service. Maybe with you, maybe without you, but invite them to that. That's what I asked you to do last week. You're still praying for that person, right? We haven't reached Easter Sunday yet. So you've got to keep praying for them. I want to ask you to pray for someone else this week. And this person, I want you to pray for that person that you don't want to. Meaning that idiot on TV. That person that you disagree with politically. Or that neighbor that has that dumb dog that won't just stop, sh won't shut up at night and you just want to shoot the dog. And this isn't personal. Um, and... And you're just like, I want that, pray for that person. Pick that one person that you're like, there's something holding me back from praying for them, and I'm gonna do it anyways. Okay, that person, right? The second thing is, is if you know someone that's really struggling with this coronavirus, maybe not necessarily that they have it, but just the idea, right, that they're scared, that they're, they don't know what's going on. It might be a believer, it might not be. And I want to say something on that right now. Just because someone does not gather, like we're doing this, and there are people on both sides of the, the idea of we shouldn't gather or we should, I want to say right now, neither one is from a lack of faith. And we shouldn't look at the other one as someone like that. I've talked to people on both sides, people that share that they don't want to meet not for themselves but for someone else. That they don't want to, in case they have it, they don't want to share it. And I've seen people, all of you in here are here because you want to be with other Christians. And you're having faith that that is, that God's going to take care of us. Okay, both of us are exercising faith. Let's not be in this situation where, okay, if you're watching church online, you don't have faith. Or if you're in here, you don't have faith. Let's, let's stay away from that. We need to be unified and lifting each other up. But if you know someone that is struggling with this coronavirus, that they're scared, 
Talk to them. Encourage them. Why do you have faith in Christ in this, through this? Is it because he is your stronghold? Is he your rock? You can trust him? If that's the case, share that with other people. Because you can tell them, I'm not worried about this. You know, I'm concerned, right? That's why I wash my hands. I don't touch my face as often. You know, I'm avoiding certain things. But my concern is not my worry. I'm not worrying about if I get it or not. Because if I get it and God takes me home, I'm better off than all y'all. Right? And if I don't, say I get it and I don't get taken home, I get an opportunity to show my faith in Christ through this. And so that assurance we need to share with other people. That trust needs to be shared with other people. Because people that are scared, it's because they don't know. You know, I don't know tomorrow. But as the song goes, I know the one who does, who holds tomorrow. And that assurance is huge for people that have nothing. Because they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and they don't know anyone that does. But we know Christ, who has overcome death, and who holds the world together. We need to share that. We need to encourage people to go to Christ. The, the two, we have four parts of the vision that God gave us here at the church, and the last two are these. We are here to locate and meet the needs of our community and to point everyone back to Jesus' life. This is an opportunity to do that. And so for anyone in here, so we're going up to Havasu tomorrow. We have to get, we're at the point in our own lives where uh, the kids are using more toilet paper than they, they need. Um, and so we're out of our, you know, some necessities that we need. So I need, we need toothpaste, um, you know, stuff like that. And so we're going to go up and do some shopping. If you need something, let me know. Okay? I will try to get it. Might not be toilet paper, <laughs> but we will try to get something for you. All right? We'll get some bark. Pretty close. Yeah. Can I share something real quick? There's been a lot of good scriptures on Facebook because of the coronavirus. And I really liked this one in the Good News Bible, um, Psalm 91, verse 14 and 16 says, God says, I will save those who love me and I will protect those who acknowledge me as Lord. When they call to me, I will answer them. When they are in trouble, I will be with them. I will rescue them that honor, I will rescue them, them and honor them. And I will reward them with long life and I will save them. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was a neat one. That is good. And so we need to encourage people with this. So take this opportunity. Don't let this time pass by as being sheltered to the point of just being off from everyone. The greatest thing, we have technology today. We can share things with people. We can share verses with each other through Facebook. And if it gets to a point where we can't meet together like this, we're going to have things on Facebook. We're going to have things available so that we can stay connected. But don't let that, the social distancing stuff, the self-quarantine stuff, keep us from encouraging each other, from lifting each other up, from sharing scripture with each other. Let's not let that happen. Okay? Because we are here as the body of Christ. Yeah? I'd like to say that... Uh we really need to pray for the people who are picking up our garbage. Mm -hmm. These guys are dealing with the worst of the worst. 
Well, let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much that you've allowed us to meet together. Lord, I pray that your people here are um, covered from the virus. Lord, I pray that we would be a testimony to that. But Lord, if you bring us into that situation, Lord, help us to stand strong in our faith and our trust towards you. And Lord, I want to lift up, lift up the people that are doing the waste, that they're doing the garbage, they're, going, they're having to do that. Lord, I pray for them, um, that you would keep them safe and healthy and away from this. Lord, I pray for our president. I pray that you would give him the understanding and the wisdom that he needs to, to help direct this. I pray for our leaders, our elected officials, that they're, they're there and they're trying to figure some of these stuff out. Help them to get rid of their, their ideas that would only help themselves or only a small fraction of people and, and look towards the whole. So, Father, I pray for them. I pray for our, our first responders, our police, that they can't take off. Lord, that you would keep them strong and our, our firefighters, our EMTs, our, our medical, our doctors, our nurses, those staffs of the hospital and the clinics. Lord, pray for them as well, that they would be lifted up. So, Father, don't let us be cowering in fear. Help us to be able to share who you are um, with the people around us. Lord, I thank you that we, we are your people and we are in your hand and that nothing befalls us that you don't think is necessary or that you don't think is, um, that, that you can't work out for good. So Father, I thank you. I praise you. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. Would you stand with us please singing when the roll is called up yonder, we'll be there. <laughs>